my brothers and sisters. More than two weeks ago, so two weeks before this past Thursday, was the American National Day of Prayer. Did you know that? Did you celebrate it, observe it? And the, the, the American National Day of Prayer is, is a really fascinating cultural phenomenon to me. Because you get politicians on both sides of the aisle. You, you get American religious leaders from all across the American religious spectrum. And you get a lot of celebrities, activists, uh, athletes, actors, actresses, all these different people coming together and encouraging you, the uh, average American, to take that day to just, just take that day to pray. It doesn't matter who you pray to. It doesn't matter what you pray for. It doesn't even matter if you really believe in the person that you're praying to. All that matters is that your prayer is earnest and sincere and thankful because prayer is a good spiritual discipline and a great way to have a sense of calm and peace in your life. Eh. Let's think about that. Assuming that God is real, assuming that God is big enough and all-knowing enough to actually hear and comprehend every single prayer of every single person that's ever existed, and assuming that God is powerful, almighty enough to actually answer every single prayer that has ever been prayed, do you think it might matter to him at least a little bit? Whether you pray to him or you pray to, to some other deity like Allah or, or Brahman that, that he claims doesn't exist? Do you think it might matter to him at least a little bit uh, whether you pray to him because you actually care and, and want a relationship with him and because you love him? Or if you just pray, but, well, it's just because it's a national holiday or, well, I don't know if he exists, so I might as well just try because what can it hurt, right? Do you think that might make a difference? Do you think it might matter to him whether you pray to him, a personal God who can think and act and communicate and love you, or, or just, you know, if you pray to just some generic higher power spirit in the sky that can't communicate with you, can't uh, challenge you, and certainly can't love you, do you think that might matter? Well, according to the Bible, it does. A lot. And according to the Bible, not all prayers are created equal. Who you pray to, how you pray, how often you pray, what you pray for, all of it uh, really, really matters. But there is one question in regard to your prayer life that we need to answer that is even more important than all those other questions, even more important than who do you pray, who do you pray to? And that's the question that Jesus talks about in the text, which is in your bulletins. In whose name are you praying? Whose name are you praying in? And so let, let, let's dig into the text and find out what exactly Jesus means about this. And, and we're going to find out today, my clicker's right here. First of all, that because of the resurrection, prayer is possible. All right, we're going to find out what that means. First of all, the, just the context of the text that we're looking at in John 16. So the words that Jesus is saying, uh, this is on Monday, Thursday. 
So this is a few hours before Jesus is arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is right before he is taken to the the kangaroo court in the house of the Jewish leaders. And then he is uh, publicly beaten, publicly uh, tortured, publicly humiliated, then taken before Pontius Pilate where he's condemned to death and then publicly executed right before the capital city of his country in front of thousands and thousands of people who are looking at him and laughing. And Jesus is saying all this stuff to prepare his disciples for that. And he's very clear with them in a way that maybe they don't get it right now, but they will after all this happens. He says very clearly, in a little while, you will not see me, but in a little while, you will see me again. And you will grieve and you will mourn even while the world rejoices. Well, what, what is Jesus saying? He's talking about his death. And he's very right, right? In a little while, they wouldn't see him because he would be dead. But in a little while, they would see him again. And they would grieve and mourn, especially while the sadistic, cruel leaders of the Jews and the Gentiles are celebrating over Jesus' bloody corpse. But that very thing that gives the disciples inconsolable grief, Jesus' death on the cross, would also be that very same thing that gives them unquenchable joy that would last until their death and beyond. All because of the resurrection. And Jesus' picture is really perfect, right? Just like a mother does not quite, you know, particularly enjoy the process of childbirth because it's painful. Well, once she has that baby in her arms, right, that thing that caused her so much pain is now the source of her joy as she holds that baby in her arms. And it's the same thing. Because of the resurrection, because Jesus rose again from the dead, the cross that he died on is no longer a a sign and a symbol of pain and death and loss and, and defeat and condemnation. Now, because of the resurrection, the cross means life, forgiveness, victory, all because Jesus rose again from the dead. And what's the result of Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection from the grave? Well, first of all, it's that thing we talk about every single Sunday. Absolutely free, unconditional forgiveness to every single one of you. That God no longer sees your past, he no longer sees your flaws, he no longer sees all the messed up things you've done in your life. He sees the absolute perfection of his son Jesus and chooses to look at you and judge you and love you because of that. And Jesus takes it a step further. Because you are his child, because you have that status as God's own son or daughter in his kingdom, you have absolutely open, unhindered access to the ear of God himself and the promise that when you go to God, he will listen to you and give you every single ounce of his attention and listen to you and respond to you with the exact same amount of love that he would give to Jesus himself. And then you take that a step further. Look at, you you see the logic or the logical uh, step in Jesus' words. And the absolute promise that whatever you ask for in Jesus' name, you will receive. That seems a little bit too simple. What, what exactly is Jesus saying? Well, first of all, we need to establish that praying in Jesus' name does not mean going to God and saying, Dear God, please give me a lake house uh, in South Tahoe, and please give me 
a uh, Ford F2250 double wide with customized rims, an American flag painted on the hood, and please give me the ability to bench press 400 pounds. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And then, come on, where is it? No, that's not, that's not what that means. Praying in Jesus' name means going to God, pleading to God, and expecting and knowing that he will give his attention to you, not because of anything you have done, but because of what Jesus has done for you. You are confident enough to go to God himself, not because you are good, but because he is so good. And you are confident that whatever he gives to you, he will respond to you with the same love that he would give to Jesus himself. That is what it means to pray in Jesus' name. And the question today that I really want you to consider is, do you have the kind of faith that it takes to pray in Jesus' name? Not just say, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. No, to really pray in Jesus' name. To say that and mean it. Most people don't. And Christians often struggle to. Well, why? Because to pray in Jesus' name means that I am admitting that I am owed nothing, that God owes me absolutely nothing. Praying in Jesus' name means that I am acknowledging that God has loved me enough to slay his son for me when it should have been me, and therefore whatever he gives me is the greatest thing that he could possibly give to me. Do you have enough faith to do that? Do you have enough faith to, in regards to your health, your, your salary, your bank account, your future, your relationships, your marriage, your children, your successes, the things that you hold deepest and near to your heart, that you would hold them, offer them to God and say, you know what, you love me so much, whatever you give to me, whatever you do for me, that, that is good. Do you have the kind of faith to do that? It's really hard. Because when you're praying in Jesus' name, you are essentially giving God permission to take away the people and the things that are nearest and dearest to your heart. When you pray in Jesus' name, you are giving God permission to humble you lower than you would ever want to be humbled. And you are giving him permission to actually inflict pain in your life if he in his good and gracious wisdom decides to do that. Do you have faith to do that? Well, the reason we don't, or the reason it, it's really, really, really hard, that reason actually goes back to the Garden of Eden. That reason is a lie. It's a lie that Satan whispers into the ears of every single sinner. It's that lie that Satan whispered into the ears of Adam and Eve when he showed him that tree of the knowledge of good and evil and said, did God really say that you, you, you can't eat any of the trees from, the, from any of the fruit from the trees? Well, can you really trust him? Are you sure he really loves you? Why would he deny you something so wonderful? You can't trust him. You need to take things into your own hands and, and do what's right for you. It's that same lie that he told David when he slept with a woman that was not his wife and then killed her husband to cover it up. And you, you can almost hear Satan whispering in David's ear, David, you can't trust God enough that you'll be satisfied with one woman. No, you need her too. And you can't, be, you can't trust God that if you just do the right thing, things will play out just fine. You'll be okay. No, Uriah the Hittite knows way too much. He's got to die. Do what you got to do. You can hear Satan's lie in Peter's ear. 
when he denies Jesus three times. And you, can, you can see it, right? Jesus is in the courtyard, and he's starting to get beaten. He's getting condemned by the most powerful people in Israel. And Peter's watching from a distance, and someone asks him, hey, do you know that guy? And you can hear Satan saying, hey, Peter, I know what you said earlier. I know Jesus is powerful, but obviously he's not, he's not, a, win- he's not a winner. You've got to look out for yourself here. Deny him. And really, you can hear Satan whispering into the ear of Judas Iscariot. You know what Judas did? He betrayed Jesus. And, and even though Jesus said many times, I will forgive the sinners. I will die for sinners. I forgive sinners. And you can hear Satan say, Judas, no. What you have done is so bad, so horrible. You can't trust God to forgive you. How could God ever forgive you for what you've done? You might as well just die. You can't trust him. See, don't you see? That's why we sin. That's why we hurt each other. That's why we cheat and we lie and manipulate each other. Because we buy the lie. That's why you're so obsessed over that next paycheck, over that next accomplishment, over that next person finding you attractive, over that next relationship, over that whatever it is that you, you so desperately need. And you think, oh, if I just had that, I would be happy. That, that's why. Because we buy the lie. We believe Satan when he says that if you put your dearest possessions in the hand of God, he will crush you. And if you cry out to God in your deepest need, he will abandon you. You can't trust him. You've got to take care of yourself. But there was one. There was one who didn't buy the lie. There was one who, even though he was completely equal to God the Father in all majesty, all power, all praise, he actually humbled himself to become a human being and made himself completely dependent on God the Father. And who is that? It's God the Son. And God the Son, Jesus Christ, knew that if sinners like us were going to be treated like sons in the kingdom of God, well, then the Son of God had to be treated like sinners. A sinner, the sinner, all sinners. And so what happened to Jesus um, shortly after he said this in John uh, 16? What happened to him? He, He went out to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he essentially prayed in his own name. He went to God the Father and said, your will be done. I know what I want, but because you love me so much, I will trust that you will not crush me. I trust your power. I trust your wisdom. You got this. And what happened to Jesus? He was crushed. And when Jesus was on the cross and he said, Aloy, Aloy, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Calling out to his Father, what happened? nothing. God the Father abandoned God the Son to die because that's what sinners like us deserve. But because he did that and because he rose from the grave proving that that sacrifice worked and that the sins of the entire world are completely forgiven and completely paid for, we can know with an absolute certainty that when we put our lives into the hand of our Father, He will not crush us. He will not crush us. And we can know for an absolute certainty that because Jesus lives, that when you cry out to your heavenly Father, he will not abandon you. He will not leave you. He will never forsake you. He will be with you no matter what he has you go through. 
You're his child. How could he ever abandon you? That's what it means to pray in Jesus' name. To go to God all on the basis of what Jesus has done for you and then know that whatever he gives to you is an exact replication of what of how much he loves you. And because you know that he would kill his own son for you, that love is infinite. That is how the resurrection of Jesus makes prayer possible. But we still have to figure out. Because of the resurrection, prayer is also powerful. See, we have to figure out that question. What, what how is that how does that work? That, that whatever you ask for in Jesus' name, right, right, God will give to you. What, what does that mean? Well, first of all, we need to establish that contrary to what uh, mainstream Christianity and our culture at large would have you believe, prayer is not about you bending God around your will, but actually bending yourself around God's will. Not trying to get God's mind changed so that it fits more in line with your plan, but changing your mind so that it fits better with God's plan. That's what prayer is essentially about. And, and so Jesus was right when he said that the disciples had never actually prayed in Jesus' name before. Now, they had asked Jesus for plenty of things, and they had probably prayed to God the Father every single morning. But they had yet to go to God and say, because I am your child, because of what Jesus has done for me, and because of the precious white robe that covers me in perfection, and because you will deal with me as if I were your perfect son himself, hear my cry. Listen to me. And whatever you give to me, I know that it is far beyond what I could ever imagine, because that is how much you love me. And so, praying in Jesus' name does not just mean going to God based on God's promise or based on what Jesus has already done for me, but then showing what Jesus has done for me and saying, Father, if you love me this much to slay your own son for me, keep loving me in the same way. Keep blessing me in the same way with the same amount of love. Keep being with me in the same way that you have always been with me. Praying in Jesus' name does not mean, doesn't just mean going to God based on what Jesus has done for you, but it also means keeping God to his promises, holding what God has promised you and saying, God, this is who you are. This is what you have done for me. This is what you've promised me. Continue to do this for me. And when that is your prayer, the answer will always be yes. Now, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. That's kind of cheap, <laughs> right? Uh, like, if you ask God to keep his promises, you're, you're just asking him to do something that he would do anyway, right? That how, how is asking God to do something that he would do anyway a powerful prayer? It is a powerful prayer. Consider this. All the parents in the room that have raised children or grandparents of the room that, uh, that, that have kids in the house, what is, like, the worst thing or one of the worst things that you can do to your children? Give them whatever they ask for, right? I think sometimes that's one of the worst things that you can do to your kids is give them what they want. See, the joy of parenting, the, the process of parenting is not that you would bend yourself around the will of an eight-year-old kid. That, that's, a, that's a recipe for disaster. Part of the joy of parenting is seeing your children grow up. And, and, and think about it a good way. 
to grow up and mature, become an adult, and have their, their logic and their hearts and their minds become like yours in a good way. That's the part of the joy of parenting is seeing your children grow up and be like you so that their thoughts are like your thoughts. And that's how it is with God. The power of prayer is not that God would bend himself around your will, but that you change, that you grow, that you align your will with God's will, and that your heart becomes like, becomes like God's heart. That's what it means to pray in Jesus' name. And, and think about it. That's exactly what happened with Abraham. You remember Abraham, right? That, I don't know, I didn't hear any snickering, but I was laughing to myself because that is kind of a humorous story that Abraham would go, well, wait a minute, God, what about, what, what, what about this? Would you do it for 20? Would you do it for 15? Would you, would you do it for 10? Well, what's Abraham doing? Is he going to God and saying, you know, God, I'm a really important guy. Like, I'm really good. You know, I... I'm, I'm, you know, you're going to make me like the father of your nation and you know, you're the savior of the world is going to come from me. You better listen to me because I'm kind of a big deal. You're lucky to have me on your team. No! He goes to God and says, I'm nothing but dust. I'm nothing but. You are a God of grace. You are a God of justice. And a God of justice would never destroy the righteous with the wicked. A God of justice would never destroy the righteous just like he would destroy the wicked. You're a good God. You wouldn't do that. Because God had told him that. He's holding God to his promises. And what was God's answer? Yes. Yes. Now, eventually, he did destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, but the four righteous people with the Lot's family, they, they, they actually survived. They, they fled the scene, and so God answered Abraham's prayer with a yes. And this is what James is talking about when he says that the prayer of the righteous person is powerful and effective. The prayer of the righteous person is not powerful and effective because God is in heaven and saying, well, this guy's a really solid guy, so I'll change my mind for him. I'll do him a solid. No, the prayer of the righteous person is powerful and effective because it is an expression of the gospel. And that prayer changes the heart of the person praying and the one that hears the prayer and gives the person praying and everyone hears it and including the sick person that would be in that situation that James is talking about, the strength and the courage to endure whatever God would have them endure. That is what it means to pray in Jesus' name. Number one, go to God based on only what Jesus has done for you and then hold God to nothing less than what he has promised you. Now, I, I, I want to make sure that we're very clear on this. Praying does not get rid of, your, uh, of all your problems. Praying does not make your life super easy. Praying does not mean that you're going to have a life that's filled with joy and happiness all the time and that you're not going to have to suffer anything. That's not what prayer is for, and that's not something God promises. And I, I think, I, I don't know all your stuff. I don't know all the things that you all are dealing with, but I know that you all are dealing with things. I know that all of you have some prayer that you are giving to God and praying for and praying for and praying for, and God just hasn't said yes to it. Or maybe there's something in the past that you've prayed for and prayed for and prayed for and God didn't say yes. Well, my encouragement for you today is first of all, don't stop praying. It's a good thing to keep praying. Keep praying. Keep asking for the things that you want. God wants you to do that. But also understand, pray in Jesus' name. 
praying in Jesus' name means that, first of all, you understand that I get to go to God only because of what Jesus has done for me, but also God will give me above and beyond what I could ever imagine, and God will bless me above and beyond what I could ever imagine, even if it doesn't make sense in the moment. And I know that sometimes it seems like God says no, but he doesn't. God usually, God doesn't say no to your prayers. God says, wait, I have something better. And when you pray in Jesus' name, that, that, is, that is exactly what you are acknowledging. And so my encouragement to you is, yes, pray, keep praying, but pray in Jesus' name. And when you do, the answer will always be yes. Amen. We'll continue to... Uh, Uh, 